Hello, everyone. My name is Josh. So we've been learning about who the Lord is the last few weeks. Uh, Adam has been preaching about God as loving. So I'm going to do forgiving. So in Exodus 34, God reveals himself to Moses and talks about how he is loving, merciful, just, and also forgiving. Exodus 34, 7, it says that he is forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. And so how does he do this? This is kind of the, the question of today as we go through everyone's favorite book, Leviticus. So you guys can open to Leviticus 16 for me. It's like the center of the center of the first five books of Moses. So it's in the front there, the third book. And we will be going through that story and seeing how God forgives. So the big idea is that God forgives sinners. This is good news. How does he do this? We will talk through how that works through three points, that God forget, uh, the forgiveness problem, and then we'll see the forgiveness solution in Leviticus, and then we will look to the fulfillment of forgiveness. But firstly, I think it'd be good to kind of walk through this through a children's story. As you guys probably have read, there's Dr. Seuss. Who read Dr. Seuss? Nice. Okay, so we all know Cat in the Hat, right? Well, there's another story, Cat in the Hat comes back. So in this story, you know, Cat is coming in, he's coming back. So Conrad and Sally are the little kids, and they are shoveling snow because mom set it up that, hey, I'm going to be away. I need you guys to shovel the driveway so we can get to the house. So mom and dad are gone. Conrad and Sally are put to task to cut away so that they can have right relationship. They can live in the house together. They can enjoy one another. They can enjoy the presence of one another. And so they need to uh, cut through the snow a path, a way to have right relationship. And so as we see in uh, the story that the cat comes in. So he just comes in there shoveling away and the cat sl slips on past and goes into the house. They tell him, don't go to the house and he doesn't care. He's like, oh, don't worry about it. I'm just going to go inside. You know, we had fun last time in the last book, so I'm going to go into your house. We're just, we're just going to have some fun. So he goes on in, and then Conrad is like, I can't deal with this. we got a shovel. I have to make sure that I obey mom. I really enjoy my mom, so let's just shovel the driveway, get this done. So he goes in there, tries to find him, and he finds him in the bathtub eating cake. Right? So this is a problem. He disobeyed, and he's in there eating cake. So Conrad says this. He says, and then I got mad. This was no time for fun. I said, cat, you get out. There is work to be done. I have no time for tricks. I must go back and dig. I can't have you in here eating cake like a pig. You get out of the house. We don't want you about. Then I shut off the water and let it run out. And, th and the water ran out, and then I saw the ring, a ring in the tub, and oh boy, what a thing, a big, long pink cat ring. It looked like pink ink, and I said, will this ever come off? I don't think. So I'm going to stop there, or else I'll rhyme my whole sermon. But as you can see, he is forlorn. He is sad. The cat realizes that I disobeyed. I don't have a right relationship with these kids anymore. I was trying to have fun. And he is, you know, he's sad, right? He wants to atone. This is the word, the great day of atonement language. So what is atone? Well, we can break the word up at one mint in English, so we need to make ourselves one again. I need to reconcile this relationship. And the cat in the hat wants to do this, so he's like, don't worry, I got this, I know how to clean up 
pink stains. So what does he do? He takes mother's dress and he wipes it up. So this is not good, right? I'm supposed to like, just cut a path in the snow for mom, but now all this pink stuff's on the dress. The cat in the hat's like, don't worry. Don't worry, I got this. So he flicks it on the wall, and then from there, grabs shoes. I can take off the wall, grabs his shoes, but these are dad's favorite shoes, so that's another problem. Don't worry. So he keeps moving it around. It gets all over the house. And they're like, you know, leave. We'll do the work. We'll somehow figure this out. Just, just leave. You know, you're disobedient. You don't, you don't trust us. You don't care about our relationship. You don't know what you're doing. And he's like, don't worry, don't worry. I got, I got friends. So he has this big hat on, obviously, right? So he takes off his hat. And there is little cat A in there, right? And then that cat has a hat, and that hat comes off, and there's little cat B. So as you can see, it's a book about learning your ABCs. Little ABC cat come out, and they try to help him out. And what do they do? Well, they, they move the pink stuff around. They get it outside, but now it's all over the yard. So now it's everywhere. This, this pink junk is everywhere. He's distorted, uh, not just the house, but now their whole yard. And they're like, now we can't even, I don't even know how to shovel pink snow. What is this? Right? So... So this is the problem that's set up. Like, he wants to atone. He wants to cover over his, his sin, his disobedience. He wants to make things right. He wants to reconcile, but he doesn't know how. He pulls out his friends, and they're all like him. This keeps going all the way to, to Zed, and all the cats are the same. They just make it worse. So this is the problem, and this is the problem of our sin, right? How does God forgive if we are sinful? We keep spreading. We keep trying. Someone after me or my friend or I try to atone, I try to make it right, and I can't do it by my work, by my effort. So as we'll see, this big idea is that God forgives sinners. We can't work ourselves to God, but he forgives us. And we see this with, like we said, with forgiveness problems. So forgiveness problem, as we go to Leviticus 16, we read this in verses 1 to 2. It said, the Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron, when they drew near before the Lord and died. And the Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron, your brother, not to come at any time into the holy place, inside the veil, before the mercy seat that is on the ark, so that he may not die. For I will appear in the cloud over the mercy seat. So these two sons have died. So what's going on there? They try to draw near, it says, to the Lord, and they died. And then God says, you can come, but don't come anytime you please. And as we'll see, you don't come in any way you please. God has a way that you should approach him. That's, there's this atonement lid cover. Uh, it's, it's the mercy seat, but it also can be used, translated as the atonement lid, which is over the ark, right? So this is a place where you atone, where you make reconcile with God. So we'll be talking about this place and what people will do to come into God's presence. Now, this is not something new. These two sons, they fail. They want to do things their way, as we'll see later. But this is not new. We see this all the way back. We'll kind of do a quick dive over what's going on so far. We're in Leviticus. What's going on? Why is there this atonement cover? Why do we have to reconcile? How do we do this? So we have, of course, in the garden, we have Adam and Eve. They are the first humans, and they want to do things their own way as well. God is with them. He's present with them in the center of the garden. God walks with them. They, have, uh, they don't need to be reconciled because they have a right relationship. They're with God. His presence is there with them. They can enjoy him. He is a source of life. There's a tree of life there. They can enjoy life and walk together. His goodness, his beauty, they can enjoy that. But then God says, well, you know, I'm... Trust me, I know what good and right is. Just don't eat from this one tree and enjoy me and just live. But they wanted to find good and evil for themselves. 
So they go grasp at the tree. They say, oh, this will make me wise. This will make me like God. And they, when you, they take and they, and they enjoy it, they, or so they think, and then they have shame. So when you define good outside of the source of good, what are you going to get, right? If this is all goodness, beauty, truth, and I'm going to define it outside of this, well, the least you're going to do is distort the truth, if not how outright against it. And so you will follow into evil. And this is what happens. They choose their own way. And they are exiled as rebels, rightly so, out of the garden. They're exiled east out of the garden. So there's God's presence, and they reject God's life, his source of goodness. They want to just choose it for themselves. And they, as rebels, are exiled out. So now we come to Exodus, and God uses Moses to bring the people out of Egypt and brings them into the wilderness to Mount Sinai. So you have Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. These are all about, like, Deuteronomy is prepping to go into the land, but Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers are all about Israel, but them becoming his people and him, their God. And they have a covenant, like a marriage covenant, where he says, I will be your people. You'll be my God. Covenant is to death. Like, it will not end. And so this is, this is, this is good. God wants to wants to be with these people, and he's going to say, I'm going to set up a tabernacle with you. I'm going to be with you in your midst, in the center of you. So God uh, gives Moses the law, but what's happening while God is getting the law, these good laws that allow them to live the right relationship with one another, well, they're you know, making an idol for themselves, right? There's a golden calf. Aaron's there. Okay, bring me all your gold. They cast an idol. This is your God that got you out of Egypt. And they are totally against God's laws. They don't understand them. They don't know his ways. And so this is kind of the, the setup in Exodus. And then Moses inter, intercedes, and God's like, okay, I'm still going to set up my presence with you. Moses gets the view of how the tabernacle should be built. Moses builds it to a T, builds it perfect to what God told him to do. And they set it up. And it says in Exodus 40, 34 to 35, then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting, because the cloud settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. So God is with them, but now Moses can't enter. What's going on? Why? Like Moses is the one who knows God, and yet he can't enter. Well, there's still the same problem that we have with Adam and Eve. They're still rebellious. They're still sinful. Just like the cat in the hat, he can't make things right on his own. But God wants to draw near. He wants them to come. So what's, what's going to happen? Well, this is the whole setup of the book of Leviticus. Okay, this is the very end of Exodus, this problem. Moses can't enter. So we have a whole other book about setting this up. We see that, um, yeah, as they're at Mount Sinai, they have to get these, way, uh, these commands in this book of Leviticus to show them the distinction that's helping them to understand this. So it, in this book, we see that uh, there is a, a setup of what is clean and unclean, what is common and holy. So they set, this is set up also with the camp. Let's give a picture, I think, of the camp and how uh, there's, yeah, so at the center of the camp is God's presence. And as we move out from a holy place, that's where the priest can go. And then there's the courtyard, and then the camp where all the rest of Israel is. 
and then unclean is outside the camp. So there's this picture of how uncleanness is outside the camp, so in the wilderness. So God is the source of life. He's at the center of the camp. He wants them to dwell and be with him. And then there's outside of the camp is clean. This is where all the nations are. This is where you worship other gods. And, um, yeah, and as we move sent more into the camp, we get this distinction going on. So we have uncleanness, which is not necessarily sinful. It just relates to our finiteness, our limitations, our connection to death, that we're all going to die. That if you have body fluids, that like our life is in our blood. So if you touch a dead body or if you have, you know, this disagreement of, of fluids that lead to life, then you are unclean. There's a distinction of your finiteness. And then there's, of course, the clean, which would be not being close to death or that connection. And then also there's holy. Holy is set apart, right? God is holy. He's set apart. He's other than all of creation. All of the rest of creation is common, right? It's holy and common. And then, of course, there's also sin. So this distinction was to help them understand their separation, that they are to be holy and set apart from the nations, right? They're supposed to be the ones that know God, that know his ways, that have his presence, his eternal life in them, right? In the garden, God is the source of life. And they are supposed to be, uh, to radiate out that life also as his people. So this is like the sun. So God is like the sun. He sends out warmth. He sends out life. Everything in our solar system like, has life because of the sun and our earth, uh, all the trees, right? So this is God's radiance. We call this sometimes it's related to his glory that just keeps going out. He's independent. He doesn't need us. The sun every morning is there. It's, we don't have to think about it. We don't have to question that it's going to be there. It's always there. It's independent. It keeps going out. This is kind of the, the image here. Like, but yet, uh, as we see, the sun is dangerous, right? We need you know, a spacesuit on. You need, in your capsule, you'd need some type of shielding from radiation. So in the same way, God is distinct and set apart and holy, but he is dangerous for those that are finite, for us that are sinful. We are like an asteroid, and if we got close to the sun, we'd burn up, right? Just a dead rock. And so this is kind of the distinction being set up in the book of Leviticus. As we saw, God wants them to draw near, but not just in any way that they please. So in chapter 9, uh, this is kind of the culmination of the setup of clean and unclean and the priesthood. The priests will set up uh, their garments and they will gleam to the people. They'll have nice with stones and gold, so they'll shine. And so they're supposed to represent uh, God to the people. And so after this setup, it says in Leviticus 9, 22, 24, uh, Aaron lifted up his hands toward the people and blessed them, and he came down from offering the sin offering and the burnt offering and the peace offering. And Moses and Aaron went into the tent of meeting. And when they came out, they blessed the people, and the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the pieces of fat on the altar. And when all the people saw it, they shouted and fell on their faces. So they go in, they come out, and they're alive. This is great news. Like, this is the issue in Exodus. Moses couldn't enter. So now they've set up the system, and we see that, that they can go in and they can come out. And what happens, though? The fire comes out, and instead of consuming them, it consumes the offering. So if we look at the word offering, it just means like drawing near, coming near. So like, you know, like non-bread is like bread, bread, right? So offer, like a coming near offering would be like a coming near, coming near item. So you come near with the coming near. 
So this is the idea. So they, the offering is there, and they come near with it, and God consumes that, and not them, is in their place. So this is great news. They can enter the tent and come out. So then what is this about Nadab and Abihu, right? So let's kind of look at that story, because that kind of gives us insight into what's going on here. Leviticus 10, 1 to 3, it says, Now Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it and laid incense on it and offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. And the fire came out from before the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, This is what the Lord has said. Among those who are near me, I will be sanctified. And before all the people, I will be glorified. And Aaron held his peace. So they, uh, this is Nadab and Abihu. This is right after uh, the scene in chapter 9 where Moses and Aaron go in and out and there's acceptance. This is right after that. So like, it doesn't seem in the story that they've even left the precinct area, right? They're there, they're accepted, they come out, everyone's cheering, the fire has consumed the offering. And now Nadab and Abihu, kind of like the second command priests, they are like, sweet, I can approach the Lord. So they go their own way and they offer unauthorized fire. And this can seem kind of unfair, what's God doing here? But the, some things in the text kind of highlight the seriousness of this. As we say, like God's source of life, like you can't just play with that. But also it sees here in, in the end, it says that the, Lord, um, that the Lord says that those who draw near me must be sanctified. So this is like purified. They might be pure. They should be holy, set apart. They should be sanctified. And then as they go out to the people, it says, to the people, I will be glorified. So this is like being made much of, honored. And so Aaron held his peace because he understood, yeah, my sons didn't do that. They didn't honor the Lord. They didn't see him as, as glorious, as holy. They didn't purify themselves. Aaron held his peace because he understood. He was at the golden calf, and he messed up there, and he saw the commands from, from, from Moses, and he's learned them, and he's like, yeah, he held his peace. So as you see, uh, Nadab and Abihu are just like Adam and Eve. They're just like the cat in the hat. They want to do it their own way. And they uh, are consumed in their sin. So I have a question for you guys. Do you take God seriously? Uh, Do you see God as holy? So with uh, Nadab and Abihu and the situation leaves us still with this question, How do we come into God's presence? How are we forgiven? How do we come into God's presence? Because this is our problem as well. This is why I speak of this. Uh, We all know this. We all sin. We all know we sin. People sin from a young age, right? Freddie knows with his kids, I'm sure. Uh, I I know I wasn't there, but my brother, I told the story about him, but my mom and her sister were at my grandpa's place. They're like sitting on the couch and they were talking, and my brother was crawling around like a baby, you know, drooling or whatever he's doing, and he's seeing stuff, right? So they're just hanging out, and then my brother, say this is the fireplace, my brother was crawling toward the fireplace, so the hearth is kind of like that stone around the fireplace to kind of protect from the flames, and of course, you don't want your child to like start, you know, learning that it's good to touch the fireplace, so my mom's saying, you know, don't touch that, and she like, you know, picks him up, moves him away, keep talking, he starts moving toward it again, and she says, no, don't touch that. All right, okay. But then he keeps getting closer. So she's like, no, don't touch that, right? So he, what he does is he starts looking at her. And so he crawls closer. No, he crawls closer. And leaning out to touch it, he looks at her and touches it. 
right? This is us. Like, we, we know what we're doing, and we still do it anyways. We deny uh, <laughs> obey, obedience of what is good for us, and we do our own thing. So we all have this problem. We're all like Nadab and Abihu. And just like with uh, Sally and Conrad telling the cat to not go in the house, we all disobey, we want to do our own things. I'll be fine. I'll just go eat cake in the tub, right? So as we get back to yeah, the story here, right after this, right after Nadab and Abihu die, it says in Leviticus 10, 8 to 11, and the Lord spoke to Aaron say, <clears throat> saying, drink no wine or strong drink, you or your sons with you, when you go into the tent of meeting, lest you die. It shall be a statute forever throughout the generations. You are to distinguish between holy and common, between unclean and clean. And you are to teach the people of Israel all the statutes that the Lord has spoken to them by Moses. So as we see, you know, they're not in the right mind. They're probably drunk. And they decide, I'm going to do things my way. And then they are put to death. Uh, we see here that they need someone, Israel needs someone, who can distinguish between the holy and the common, between the unclean and the clean. This is the setup of Leviticus. This is the issue. People don't know. They don't know God's ways. They've, you know, they saw the miracles at the sea, but they don't actually know God. They just saw what he did, right? They didn't understand. So they need someone to teach them. And we need this too. We need someone that can come into God's presence. Nadab and Abihu couldn't do it. They died from their own sin. We need someone that can go into God's presence without dying. This is what we need, and this is what uh, is kind of expressed in Aaron, that he is also not the right person. We'll find out that Aaron isn't the one either. The, ton the atonement problem of sin is Aaron's problem also. He is not right before God. As we turn to our text in Leviticus 16, uh, we see that unlike Nadab and Abihu coming uh, potentially drunk, Aaron is supposed to come a different way. So it says God wants him to still come near, but it says in Leviticus 16, 3 to 5, But in this way Aaron shall come into the holy place, with a bull from the herd for a purification offering, and a ram for a burnt offering. He shall put on the holy linen coat, and have the linen undergarment on his body, and he shall tie the linen sash around his waist, he shall wear the linen turban, these are supposed to be holy garments. He shall bathe his body in water and put them on. He shall take from the congregation of the people of Israel two male goats for one purification offering. This will be important. Two male goats for one purification offering. And one ram for a burnt offering. So what is Aaron supposed to do? Instead of like his sons, who are so good, they went, you know, whatever they wished with their own idea of how to come close to God, how to draw near, how to be reconciled, we see that Aaron is supposed to come humbly. Right, takes off his garment that's all gleaming, that like represents God, and he's supposed to put on simple linen, humble garments. And he comes with also a bull for his own offerings. Like we said, he's not pure, right? He's no better than his sons. He needs a purification offering as well that will purify for him. <clears throat> and so we'll continue reading in 6 to 10 of 16. It says, And Aaron shall offer the bull as a sin offering for himself, and shall make atonement for himself and for his house. Then he shall take the two goats and set them before the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And Aaron shall cast lots over the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other lot for Azazel. And Aaron shall present the goat on which the lot fell for the Lord and use it as a sin offering. But the goat on which the lot fell for Azazel shall be presented alive before the Lord to make atonement over it. 
that it may be sent away into the wilderness to Azazel. So Aaron, this is kind of a, a summary procedure, Aaron is supposed to offer a bull for his own sins first, and then take these two goats as one offering for the people on their behalf. Now I'll just kind of talk about it right now. I'm sure you guys are wondering, what is Azazel? Azazel literally could just be like the cast out one or the goat that's cast out, but it also could connect to uh, demon uh, gods, goat gods that were out in the wilderness. We'll kind of get to that later. So it's kind of this idea that this goat uh, and is going to be cast out to Azazel. So we'll kind of get back to that. But I just, just thought I'd say that there right now. So it'll be sent outside of the camp, out to the, the, you know, the darkness, the unclean place. So we get back to our text. We say 14 to 19 <clears throat> is the procedure. So 14 to 16 says, And he shall take some of the blood of the bull and sprinkle it with his finger in front of the atonement cover on the east side. And then he's supposed to, <clears throat> in front of the atonement cover, he shall sprinkle some of the blood with his finger seven times. And then he shall kill the goat of the purification offering that is for the people and bring its blood also inside the veil. And he's to do with it with the blood, the same with the blood of the bull, sprinkling it over the mercy seat in front of the mercy seat. 16, thus he shall make atonement for the holy place because of the uncleanness of the people of Israel and because of their transgressions and all their sins. And so he shall do for the tent of meeting which dwells with them in their midst of their uncleanness. So you might be asking, how does the blood cover over their sin? Well, this is a great question. This is the second point of the sermon. There's the forgiveness solution. The second point, the forgiveness solution. So why does this blood cover over their sin? What is going on here? Why does Aaron have to do this? So what is this blood? Well, we see the most clearly in chapter 17. So this is where this text talks about how the people are all around going creating their own altars and worshiping God their own way. But God has set up, as we said in the book of Leviticus, set up the system as this is how you can draw near to me. This is your, like, you know, your protection from the sun. You need to come, bring this offering in your place, and now you can draw close. But they're all doing their own thing. But So the Lord's like, that's fine. Now I've set up a way. Come, bring all your offerings to now the tabernacle. This is the way to make right relationship with me. And they are off in the wilderness. This is probably connected to those goat demon gods that the other people in the wilderness are worshiping. And they are out there. They might be thinking, oh, I should worship this god. So that's why there's this little connection going on. But in 1711, we get this distinction of the blood. So I'll read this slowly, and we'll think about it. For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you, uh, to you on the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement by the life. So I'll read that again. This is 1711 of Leviticus. For the life of the flesh is in the blood. And I've given it for you on the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement by the life. So as we are talking earlier, your blood is your, is your life. You can't live without it, obviously. And so there's this connection here that the blood is the life of the animal. So the, the life of the animal is in its blood. So when you talk about a pure offering, a distinct animal that doesn't have any blemishes on it, it is young, it has never done anything wrong, it, is, it has no distortions on it, it represents purity of cleanness, but also of moral purity. This thing has no sin on it. So its blood represents that. It is its life. 
the pure life of this animal. So this is what's going on here. Yet here we say that we see that God says that he has given this blood as means of atonement. He's like, you can't draw near to me. You can't work enough. You can't do it. Right? We can scrub that pink stuff off the tub. The cat couldn't do it. The next cat couldn't do it. Same with us. We can't do this. God says, I will bring you near. I will draw you near. This is how you can come near, not through your own effort, but through what I give you. So he says, I am giving you this lifeblood to make atonement, to cover over your sins. So that we see that this is a gift from God to bring us near. He wants to reconcile us to him. He wants to dwell in our midst. And he has done this through his, his way of, off, of us off, or Le, Levites, uh, the people in Leviticus, to, to come near with this blood, this pure life in their place. So this is what Aaron is doing when he's sprinkling it in, in God's presence. He's, this blood is covering over me. As we're saying, there's the atonement cover lid, and inside the, <clears throat> inside the ark are some items. We have the copy of the law, and we said that this connects also to their great sin of denying God and setting up an idol. So it's not really a good image, not really a good remember, uh, remembering piece. And also in there we have the staff of Aaron, which had budded. So they had been fighting about, we want to be special. It's like, no, no, I said that Aaron will be my priest, will be the priest for the people. And so they kind of fought, and God said, fine, put all these staffs. And Aaron's staff budded to show that God said what he said. And then also, uh, eventually there's the manna piece in here, where this is a remembrance of how God provides. But also, if you guys remember the story of when God provided with the manna, he said, just pick out enough for the one day, and that's it. But people would gather more, and then it would rot. Because God says, no, I'm enough. Trust me, not in yourself. And don't gather for yourself. Same with the seventh day. On the sixth day, God says, gather enough, and it'll be enough for two days. And people went out the seventh day, and there was no manna. But their manna from the sixth day lasted. So just like there's this, the people don't get it. They want to think, oh, I want consistency. I want to be a God I can control, I can understand. God says, no, you have to trust me. I know what's best. I will provide for you. I am the source of life. So a question we have for us is, are you coming to God by your own effort? Are you trying to clean that tub yourself? Are you trying to, yeah, clean that pink ring? Are you trying to cover over your sins through effort? Are you coming, or are you going to come through the way that God provides? Let's read verse 16 again. Thus he shall make atonement for the holy place because of the uncleanness of the people of Israel and because of their transgressions, all their sins. And so, and so he shall do for the tent of meeting which dwells with them in the midst of their uncleanness. So why is he making atonement for the tabernacle itself? Why for this tent of meeting? Well, as we're talking about the camp and the layout of the camp, God wants to dwell with them, but because they're sinful, because they're unclean, they're kind of bringing, in a sense, their, their sin as a toxin, and it's kind of coming up to God's presence. It's coming around the tabernacle where God dwells. And God, as we said, is like the sun. He can't have a dead rock come close by. It'll just burn up. It doesn't like, get handle the glory, the beauty, the majesty. So in the same way, this sin is crouching up, and God's like, I can't. I don't live in sin, but yet I want to dwell with you. So what is happening is that he wants, needs to atone for uh, the sin that's caught up in the space, in a sense. This is more the imagery thing. 
And so this is talking about kind of like a, a bleach of this blood. So as we read in 16, 17, and 22, it says, And no, <clears throat> no one may be in the tent of meeting from the time he enters to make atonement in the holy place until the time he comes out has made atonement for himself and for his house and for all assembly of Israel. Then he shall go out to the altar that is before the Lord and make atonement for it. And then he should take some of the blood of the bull and some of the blood of the goat and put it on the horns of the altar all around. And he shall sprinkle some of the blood on it with his finger seven times and cleanse it and consecrate it from the uncleanness of the people of Israel. So as we said, this toxin is building up and it's up to God's place, but it's also like on the altar that they're supposed to come to, right? So you come into where the tabernacle precinct or the enclosure is and you would come and you'd offer your offering on the bronze altar, and this, you'd have the offering there, and the fire would burn and take an offering up to God. And if you look through the fire, you'd see the tabernacle. So as you, like, look through those front doors, you'd come, you'd see the stage. So, but in front of the, the doors, there would be the fire. And if you look, you'd see the doors. So just like you'd see the curtain of the tabernacle, you'd look through the flames, and you'd see the curtain. And woven in the curtain would be angels, so why is this important? Well, if we remember from the, back in the garden, when they're cast out east, what is set up at the doorway to lead to life, to the, to the tree of life? There's a flaming sword, and there's angels standing there. Right? So if they want to enter back into, if they want life, to want to be with God and enjoy him, they have to enter through that fire from the east. But they wouldn't, of course, make it. They are impure. They are rebels. They've been exiled. So they can't enter through. They'd have to walk through that fire, and they would die. So the same way, this animal is in that fire for you, and then you see the priest going in. So they're going towards God's presence. This is this imagery going on here. So as Aaron is uh, killing the bull, and the bull's blood covers over, it represents purity, and it covers over his sin, he will bring it to where God is on that, on that uh, atonement cover, and he'll sprinkle it there. And God says, I dwell among, above the, the lid, and I will see that blood, and I will not see uh, your sin. He'll cover over. And so when he puts this blood out, he's cleaning in a sense. This blood is covering over, covering over the sin that's brought in. It's brought in with the priest, so he has to go out there. And then it's brought to where you offer your offering. So he has to put the blood on the, the altar where you put your offering as it's coming out. So this blood is like a detergent that cleanses. It's pure life is covered over and cleanses from their sin. This is like a good spring cleaning. You start dusting in the back corner of your closet, say you're in your dorm room or you're at your work, Starbucks or wherever you work, and you got to sweep up. Well, you're going to start in the corner, right? You don't just start in the middle, right? So you go off to the corner. You'd start in the back closet of your dorm room. You'd sweep it out, and then you sweep the rest of your room. And then you, that would be out of your room into the main area, and you'd start, you'd go underneath the couches, behind, you know, the curtains, and you sweep it all into one pile, and you sweep it all, you know, to your front door, right? And then you're done. You cleaned your, your room. Well, of course not. It's all the front door, right? So someone will walk in, and they'll kick it, and it'll get everywhere. So this idea is that it's cleansing out toward the front, where, where the, uh, the front of God's uh, tabernacle. So you want to just leave the dust there. They don't want to just leave the sin there. Because if you leave the dust there, people are going to kick it, obviously. So you will put it in a garbage bag, and it will go out to the dumpster. And what will happen? Well, eventually a dump truck will take it away 
to the, you know, the refuse pile, to the garbage dump, and it'll take it away. So, as remember, there's two goats, one offering. Well, the one goat, if it's like the bleach cleaning, the second goat is like uh, the garbage truck. So we'll see this in Leviticus 16, 20 to 22. We'll see this second goat. And it says, And when he had made an end of atoning for the holy place and the tent of meeting and the altar, he shall present the live goat. And Aaron shall lay both hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the iniquities of the people of Israel and all their transgressions and all their sins. And he shall put them on the head of the goat and send it away into the wilderness by the hand of the man who is in readiness. And the goat shall bear all their iniquities on itself to a remote area, and he shall let the goat go free in the wilderness. So all these toxins are been cleansed out, all the sin, and is placed on the head of this goat. So it is swept out of your house, it's put on this goat. And then it is cast east, right, away from the garden, away from God's presence, where we are dwelling, out into the wilderness, out to where there's death and decay, where it's unclean, to Azazel, to this false god we're worshiping. So the question is like, what is dirtying up your dorm room? Like what sin is keeping you from God? What pink ring is defiling your home and the right relationship with God where he wants to dwell with you? So what are we going to do? Well, this is reminded, <coughs> we remember of the point here that the forgiveness solution is this pure life over it. So there <coughs> is excitement at this point. All our sin is put on this goat and it's cast away. It's out. Yes, we're free of it. It is put away. And this shall be something that they set up as an ordinance. In verse 30 it says, For on this day shall atonement be made for you to cleanse you. You shall be clean before the Lord from all your sins. This is great news. This is good news. And yet, in verses 31 to 34, it notes that they have to do this continually every year. They have to set up the high priest. It'll be the next son and the next son and the next son. They have to do the same cleansing tour. They have to go in and make atonement for themselves. And they'll take goats for the people. And they will go and they'll sprinkle the blood. And they'll walk out, sprinkle the blood. They'll continue they lay their hands on that goat, and the sin will be cast away. But they do this every year. Right? Like, it's cast away, the next day I sin. Ah. This is like when we're spin cleaning, we sweep it all out, and then, you know, got to use the bathroom, we clip our toenails or whatever we do, we go shower, we get all grimy, right? We just cleaned it, but then we dirty it again. We need a, a better way. We need to not just clean our house, we, and we not just need our sin taken away, we also need to be changed from the inside. We need to not desire to sin. We need to be purified. As we saw, Aaron wasn't pure. He couldn't do it. Just like the cat in the hat, the next one, the next one, the next one, they're all the same. We just make the, the mess worse, or we at least just do the same as the last guy, if not make it worse, but we still sin. So this, we need a greater cat in the hat, we need a greater high priest that doesn't have to sacrifice on behalf of his own sins. We need a better goat. We need a better way to atone. This goat is a goat. It's not a human. How can it represent me? 
So this gets to our third point, the forgiveness fulfillment. This day of atonement was pointing to something. It had to be done every year. It was pointing to Jesus. So the forgiveness fulfillment is fulfilled in Jesus. He, the atoning sacrifice <coughs> uh, of the goats was pointing to this future. We need a way to draw near to God, a way to be forgiven and reconciled. We need a greater blood. We need a greater Moses. And this is not just me thinking this. We should always test this with the scriptures. And in Hebrews, he's picking up on the same stuff. The book of Hebrews 4, 14 and 16, it says, Since then we have a great high priest, so Jesus, who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We can draw near because of Jesus. We can draw near confidently that we are forgiven. And again, in Hebrews 7, 27, it says, He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. In Hebrews 10, 11, and 14, it says, Every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. As high priests were to be sanctified, he has for all time perfected those who are being sanctified. The other priests stood daily. They had to keep doing this every year, every day with other sacrifices, but every year for this day of atonement for cleansing. And Jesus sat down. His work was finished. One sacrifice was enough. So how can we be forgiven? Well, in the cat in the hat illustration, the cat in the hat, we have all the way to Zed. They're all the same. But in little cat Zed's hat, there is something different. It's not another cat. It's what they call voom. And voom is this thing that cleans up everything, right? It cleans up all the pink stuff and it puts it away. It is not another cat. It is something else. It is a different uh, thing entirely. It is a different power that can actually clean up. So in a way, Jesus is this voom. He cleanses up all the sin, but as you see, he also cuts the way through the snow. He, act, he makes a way to reconcile us with God so we can have right relationship with him, that we can come into his presence. doesn't just take the sin away, but also makes us right. He goes to the Father and, and, and offers himself in the real uh, tabernacle. So he does something that we cannot do for ourselves. He is a great pre high priest that doesn't have any sin to cover over. He is blameless. His life is lived fully to God. Unlike Nadab and Abihu, unlike Adam and Eve, unlike us, he never defines good outside of God. He always trusts and obeys God's good commands, even unto death. He is the one who, is, who we've been waiting for, the one that can walk through the fire and not die. He can go into God's presence. He can go back into the garden to, uh, to, to God, the source of life. He doesn't only purify us from sin, but makes a way to the Father through his own work, something we could not do. 
So how is this accomplished? Well, the text still stands. We need an atonement. We just needed a better one, one that doesn't need to be repeated. And as we saw in Hebrews, because Jesus was perfect, unlike Aaron, he did not have to have a, an animal that would purify or cover over his sin. He can just walk right in and go in and out as he pleases. And so <clears throat> we see that uh, it, as John 3.16 says that, that God loved us, that he gave his son, that whoever believes will not perish, but have eternal life. What is this eternal life? Well, Jesus clarifies in 17.3, and this is eternal life, that, you know, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So what, what do we do? We, first thing we can do is we can draw near because of what Jesus did. We often call this uh, penal substitute atonement. This is penal. It is a law thing that God has these laws that needs to be met. And yet uh, God, uh, or Jesus, has fulfilled it. He doesn't need to uh, have his sin covered over. He has fulfilled all laws perfectly. He's in right relationship with God. But it's also a substitution for us and also covers over for us. This is atonement. So we can't enter into God's presence. We need someone who can go in our behalf. This is Jesus. He can freely go. He can walk past right through. So when Jesus went to death on the cross, he took the penalty that we deserve and gave us the right relationship that he had, that we desire. This right relationship with God is reconciliation. It says in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So we can draw near because of we are in Christ, we're in his righteousness for those who repent and turn to him. We can draw near, we can come to God. This is our first major application. We can come not through our own efforts, not through goats, but through Jesus' blood that covers over. And we see this in the book of Acts, that Peter preached to a crowd, they said that Jesus died for their sins, and they are cut to the heart. In Acts 2, 37 to 39, it says, Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart, and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent, and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children. And for all who are far off, Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Are you cut to the heart? Do you realize that you are a sinner that needs forgiveness? Good news. God forgives sinners. He forgives all that come to him through Jesus. For all who are far off, those who are in the wilderness, offering to other gods, doing things our own way, trying to work ourselves to God, is offered to all, as it says, all who are far off, all who are out there in the wilderness. What then can we do? In the book of Acts, like people in the book of Acts, we can repent and we can be baptized in his name. So repent, we can turn away from our sin to God. And we can also be baptized in his name, so in his identity. We can say, he did it, I'm in him, I'm a new creation. I'm not in Adam, I'm not the seventh, twentieth cat from the hat. I am in new, I am through the new creation in Jesus. We turn then from our false gods and we go to Jesus. As alluding to with John 3.16, it says that we can go to him. 
For God so loved the world that he gave his son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the Son of God. So those who are out in the wilderness are condemned by the verity. They're serving their own, their, their own God. They are not, don't want God's ways. They don't want his goodness. But those who turn to Jesus, who repent and turn to him, the atonement that God provides, they can have life eternal. They can have presence with God. God gives to all who believe and repent. As we were saying before, what is eternal life? That they would know God. This is in John 17, 3. And they would know Jesus Christ whom he sent. So as we were saying, that God is the source of life. He's this radiance, this, this independent one, like the sun that gives so freely. He doesn't want anything from us. He wants us to receive. That's what he does. He wants us to enjoy him. That is life, not running after our own things. So if you haven't, I would beg you to receive the forgiveness of sins found in Jesus. Come near to God. Come near to the source of eternal life. God is waiting to forgive. He wants to cleanse you and bring you near. He wants you to enjoy him and the life eternal. This is why Jesus came, to bring you to God. This is a great Christian hope. We've been forgiven in Christ and reconciled to God. The Israelites had been given away to draw near through the blood that covered over. They had uh, also Aaron, but we have Jesus. This all pointed to him so that we could come close to God through Jesus. God gave them the life in the blood and it covered over. We also have the blood of Jesus that covered over his perfect life. He lived the perfect life we could not live. Israelites also trust in the high priest, Aaron, as we were saying, to offer the right sacrifice to God. They would go in and be able to cleanse the camp. We too trust in Jesus and what he has done on our behalf so that we can stand in God's presence. We don't need a priest to go in and out. As Romans 5, 2 and 9 to 11 say, through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God? For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. We're reconciled. We can rejoice. This reconciliation is by grace, through faith. We can't do it. But this is not just a blind faith because he rose from the dead. He rose from the dead showing that judgment could not stick to him. Even though our sins were put on him, Jesus himself didn't sin. And so he rose from the dead. He had power over sin and death. He has no sin in him that needs to be atoned for. He can walk right into God's presence. He can bring us to God. Jesus accomplished it. Let us respond by receiving it through faith. Many of you would say, yes, Josh, I received by faith. I repented, I believed, I trust and see that the Spirit is in me, like in the book of Acts, they received it, but I still struggle. What should I do? Well, this is our second application point. We can see and do what Aaron did in verse 34. After all this writing and what they should do, Aaron did all that the Lord commanded. 
We should do as Aaron did in response. But this is not uh, doing works in order to appease God. Like we said, we've already come without works. We couldn't do it. So you'd say, well, isn't this, this sounds like a work. Well, if you have to put in a work, God says he requires us to enjoy him. This is it. Just enjoy, receive. He, is, he doesn't need anything from you. He wants to give to you. God is so good, generous, loving, and he wants you to enjoy him. And that is what gives him glory, is when you enjoy him. That's what makes him great. He doesn't need it, but it grows. It's more because you enjoy him. And those that we tell and join in, joy, enjoy more with us. And we enjoy more because they're in it. It grows. We act like the sun as we have God's light in us. This turns to, uh, how, how, you know, how do we do this, right? It seems hard. Well, in the book of Acts, it says that the Holy Spirit will fill them. So in a sense, we become like the tabernacle. As Jesus' body, as believers, we have God dwelling in us. And we will live out this new identity. You can't help but glow when you have, you know, a light, right? If you have, like, a headlight on, you're going to shine. So this is the idea here. Just as Jesus was the womb that took away sin and made our way to the Father, we have that same womb power in us so that we can resist sin. He changes us so that we can now have this new power. It's not mean that we don't keep striving to live and obey but it's now that we have the ability not to sin. God empowers us in the life of Christ. So we can resist temptation because of his power in us. So what is this right response as we're talking through the forgiveness problem? We are sinful, forgiveness solution. We need someone to cover over sin. We need someone to represent us. And the <clears throat> fulfillment of forgiveness that Jesus did this, that it all pointed to him, and now we repent and believe, and now we can live out until Jesus returns. We live out in the Spirit until Jesus returns. So like how the way of forgiveness was given as a gift to Israel, but it pointed to Jesus, also Jesus says, I came to deal with sin, but I will come again. So he fulfilled the promise the first time. He said, I would rise from the dead. Put me to death. Do it. And he did. He rose from the dead. So how much easier is it for him to say, I'm going to come again, that he will. So we need to live in light of that until he comes again. As we end with talking about Hebrews again, it says in Hebrews 9, 28, So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. And in Hebrews 12, 1 to 2, it says, Therefore, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and is seated at the right hand of the Father. <clears throat> Father, let us end in prayer. Father, we thank you for who you are. Thank you that though we could not atone, that we cannot come cover over, that we cannot draw near on your own from our own efforts, we cannot think ourselves to you, we cannot desire ourselves to you. You came to us. You changed us in Christ. You desire for us to be in right relationship with you. And you provided a way. Let us come through that way. Thank you for forgiving us in Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for living the perfect life. We ask, Holy Spirit, that you'd fill us and empower us to live in light of this until Jesus comes. Amen.